Hello and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Keogh. AIMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately $2.5 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe, news, views, and analysis delivered by AIMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you're a hedge fund or a private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Welcome back to The Long Short. Listeners of this podcast will recall a conversation that we had with Robin Grew in episode 19, who in addition to her role as General Counsel and Chief Operating Officer of Man Group, also chairs AMA's DE&I Steering Group. And by way of a brief recap, the goal of this steering group is to provide practical resources, advice, put forward industry role models and case studies to enable alternative investment firms to develop a culture which embraces difference and to hire and retain a more diverse and inclusive workforce. This steering group has been responsible for a number of important initiatives in recent years. Among these being AIMA's EY, The Alternatives, a paper containing practical steps that firms of all sizes can take to improve DE&I, which we published in 2019. The following year saw us collaborate with Olborn Partners to produce a DE&I due diligence questionnaire, which is available to both members and non-members who are looking to explain their approach to DE&I. While last July saw the publication of How to Be an Ally, providing practical examples as to how you can become a good ally to your colleagues and your firm. And that's right, Drew. And related to the DE&I group, AIMA also has a careers network launched in 2020, which provides a forum for individuals across the alternative investment space to help connect, find mentors and develop the skills necessary to further their careers. This group has been particularly active during the past few years with representation from young career professionals through to more senior industry people. And like any show out there, they have a book to tell us about or a guide, Kickstarting a Career in Hedge Funds, which is freely available now to download on the AMA website, www.ama.org. And joining us today are three of the contributors to this guide. We are delighted to be joined by Eleanor Davidson, a quantitative researcher at Aspect Capital, Catherine Abratt, COO of Arcan Capital, and our very own colleague, Anika Rao at AMA. You are all very welcome to The Long Shore. Hi, it's good to be here. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks, Drew. So, Anika, let's start then um, with this new guide. As mentioned, we have it out on the AMA website. Uh, Can you briefly explain what the guide is about and, and why have we decided to publish this now? Sure. So the guide is aimed at helping students, graduates, career changers to really understand the global hedge fund industry. Um, It covers everything from what a hedge fund is in the first place um, and the growth and future of the industry to the types of job roles that a hedge fund manager um, and also the professional services firms that support the industry. So um, fund administrators, accounting firms, law firms. Um, And then we also shed light on the ways that people can enter the industry um, and the types of skills that aspiring hedge fund professionals should seek to develop. 
Um, and then finally, we also include some recommended reading. So not just on the industry um, for commercial awareness, but also on personal growth, um, which is really key to, to what the Careers Network is all about. And we also include um, a list of social mobility organizations um, and industry initiatives all around the world. Um, I know that sounds quite dense, but it's not all facts and figures. Um, to your second point, I really wanted to share the stories and lessons of those working in the industry and bring the guide to life. Just taking it back, my inspiration for the guide came about after I set up Amos Careers Network for hedge fund professionals. Um, we were holding introductory gatherings for the network's various subgroups and during our gathering for the early professionals, so that being recent graduates and those with up to five years experience in the industry, I just couldn't believe how many there were. Um, and each working in a different area from technology and operations to investment research and HR. And for the first time, I just saw how diverse and creative the industry is. Um, and that was just one subset of the network. So we went around getting to know each other, um, sharing what we studied at school or university, um, how we came to learn about the hedge fund industry and what our goals were. And I just thought, you know, wow, this is really powerful. I was learning about roles that I never knew existed, qualifications I didn't realize the value of. Um, and I even work with hedge fund professionals on a daily basis, you know? So just imagine how many people could feel inspired um, in a similar way and how much could change if we provided that access um, and gave more people a chance to learn what I learned. Um, so the guide attempts to do just that share some of that, you know, raw buzz um, and I guess the magic of people's journeys through the industry um, through incorporating conversations with around 50 hedge fund professionals around the world. And turning to you, Eleanor, what led you to a career in the hedge fund industry? Because I know, for example, that I didn't know a lot about hedge funds uh, when I was at school and I know there isn't a lot of information out there. Did you know that this was a job for you from a, a youngish age? I definitely didn't. And I actually didn't have a completely direct route in. Um, I studied maths at university, um, which isn't uncommon in my area in quantitative research. There are a lot of people from STEM backgrounds. Um, but whilst I was at university, as everyone said, I, I really hadn't heard anything about hedge funds or, or the variety of roles within them. But what I did hear about was the banks, because they have a lot larger often um, graduate schemes and internships and are a much larger presence at careers fairs um, at university. Um, so I ended up getting a summer internship in an investment bank in mergers and acquisitions, which is very different from what I do today. Um, and then I got a grad job in the same team off the back of that. But it was whilst working in the bank that my eyes were really open to other areas of finance that I really hasn't been aware of before. Because when you're working, you get to know the things that you like and don't like about your particular role and you come into contact with a lot of different people. And for me, with a, with a maths background and computer programming experience, people started asking me, why aren't you a quant? Um, and then I learned more about, you know, quantitative and technical roles within the finance industry. And then I started thinking as well, actually, why aren't I a quant? Um, so it was after about a year in the bank that I decided to make the move over to a systematic hedge fund. And it's certainly much better suited to, to me, to not just my skill set, but also I think my personality. Um, but what I've realised is a lot of people in this industry have done a whole range of roles and there isn't really kind of a standard route in or, or up. And there are just so many different opportunities available and everyone will find their own path through. You, know, you, you mentioned you know, working in the quantitative space 
and working with numbers. So what, what does your typical working day look like? Yeah, as people often unhelpfully say, each day is a little bit different. Um, but as a quantitative researcher in a systematic hedge fund, yeah, my job is to develop and maintain our um, mathematical investment models. So the way we trade, we don't make decisions ourselves as a person of what to buy and sell. We build models which make those decisions for us. Um, so in terms of like my day-to-day -day role, um, at any time I tend to be working on one or two longer-term projects covering either kind of signal generation or portfolio construction. So for example, I might start out with a new data set and some sort of hypothesis of how that data might be used to predict subsequent market moves. And then day to day, I'll be coding up experiments to test the hypothesis and better understand how we can harness anything we find in a, in a practical way in our trading models. Um, and you really have complete autonomy um, over your, your research projects. You really have you know, ownership of them from day one. Um, but at the same time, it's a very collegiate atmosphere with a lot of collaboration and guidance from everyone in the research team. Um, and also a lot more creative thinking than I had expected. Um, but I really like that part of it, you know, coming up with new ideas or improvements for our models. And every project, even if it doesn't end up going into production, you always learn something from it and really deepen your understanding of the way markets are behaving. And, and Drew, Eleanor is, is just one of many examples that we read about and hear about and speak to when we think about the... Uh, the evolution um, of, of talent that's taking place across the hedge fund industry where we're seeing more um, quantitative technicians or data scientists, right? And I know this is something that we covered off in a, a talent paper that we did on the industry at the end of last year. Yes, exactly. And uh, the quant aspect of that was, was probably one of the most interesting I found because obviously we hear a lot about this sort of so-called war for talent and uh, Eleanor, I don't know if you could speak to this yourself, but it seems that if you have a, a quant in your title and, and to a lesser extent or to a growing extent, ESG as well, when it comes to alt data, uh, the, the competition is fierce for recruiters and employers. At least that's what we heard, at least. When you were making that transition, did you find that there was a huge amount of, of pull into the hedge fund industry? Did, were you sort of welcomes with open arms in to some extent or, or, or was it a little bit more tricky? I think definitely actually yeah as you say it's grown a huge amount um, even since I joined actually it's it's a very growing um, area of the business um, and yeah I was before I joined I was a little apprehensive um, to be honest just because I wasn't really sure what to expect and I think people outside the industry they do often have this idea even in the quantitative systematic space where you get a lot of data analysts and quant researchers, people often think of hedge funds as quite kind of hostile and cutthroat, even in even in that world. But that's something I, I haven't found at all. I've found, you know, really very supportive, friendly environments um, and really, you know, growing, as you say, certainly in, in the quantitative space. And I see you have the letters C, F and A after your name as well. Um, is it a coincidence that you took that on because of your maths background or is this qualification something that more of a generous person can take on? And to what extent, I'm throwing a couple of questions at you here, Eleanor, but to what extent um, you know, do you need to have a CFA in order to progress a career in hedge funds? 
So I actually am not yet a CFA, but I'm about to take my level three. Um, so hope at some point to be a, to be a CFA. Um, I wanted to take it partly from coming from a maths background. I felt very much a, an academic in this, in this field. Um, and it is very easy in our job. You know, you can look at data just as, as numbers and just do maths and stats day to day and not really think about the, the practical implications of, of what you're doing um, and the actual, you know, financial markets. So I wanted to take the CFA to kind of really learn that side of things. I would say it's not essential to go up and progress, but certainly the people who I look up to and see kind of at the top of my, my career game, um, they even if they haven't done the CFA themselves, they are really, you know, they know about the whole industry. They have a complete holistic picture. Um, and for me, I thought this would be a really good way, the CFA, for me to, to gain that and really feel like I had a complete understanding of the space outside of what I do day to day, which I hope will be helpful as I, as I progress. So you've been in the industry for just under 10 years now, I believe. Where do you sort of see your career going from here? You're going to hopefully stay in the alternative sector or, uh, or uh, you know, again, going back to the, the talent paper we put out, I know that this this demand for quants goes well beyond just within the hedge fund industry. And obviously you've got big tech out there to say nothing of the traditional banking space that, that's obviously still pulling you back, I'm sure. Just that sort of classic interview question. Sort of, where do you see yourself in the next five years? My current plan is just to keep taking on research projects that interest me and, and see where that takes me. Um, obviously, this is a, a very fast moving industry and it's difficult to know kind of exactly what themes and ideas will be the focal point for investors and for our research projects in in five or 10 years. Um, but I think there's just so much more I have to learn and so many potential new areas to explore that, yeah, I'm excited to just see where it goes. The Alternative Credit Council is pleased to announce the return of our annual Global Summit, which will take place in London on Tuesday, 7th of June, 2022. The past two years have demonstrated the value of real-time market intelligence and access to industry networks. Now in its fifth year, the summit event will convene LPs, GPs, and industry specialists from across the globe and showcase the full breadth of the asset class. Throughout the day, discussions will focus on identifying the key strategic challenges facing private credit managers and what trends are shaping its growth internationally. Speakers will delve into key trends in product design, investor preferences, and how private credit is contributing to decarbonization. Register today on the ACC website to hear the discussions, network with peers, and to join the evening reception. And Catherine, if we could bring you in at this point, and being more experienced in the industry, how would you say that the hedge fund industry has changed during your time? Thanks, Drew. Well, I would say particularly we've matured and we've matured in many, many ways. First of all, we have depth of field and breadth of field in strategies. So when hedge funds first came onto the scene, particularly in my part of the world where all of my career has been built in Asia Pacific, hedge funds really were about trading equities and they were about fundamental long short equity strategies because those were the products that were available in the marketplaces where some liquidity existed, aka Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia back in the day. That has evolved significantly to the point where you're speaking to Eleanor about how her experience 
mathematically and how that translates into a hedge fund role. When I first started working in hedge funds, that role just didn't exist. Um, these days, the, the, the range of roles, because hedge funds as asset managers are maturing, they're better at asset gathering, they're better at risk management, um, they're better at platform building. All of those roles and features are available in a way that didn't exist when hedge funds were really about traders and former traders uh, leaving banks or leaving other asset management platforms to do their own thing in a small business. And Catherine, uh, um, do you believe that now is now a more exciting time than to be part of this industry? I do think that now is an extremely exciting time for people to join and continue to be a part of this industry. And the reason for that goes back largely to the answer to my the earlier question, which is that we're more mature now as an industry. There are so many more roles than there were even 10 years ago in the hedge fund industry as we develop in size and complexity as a segment of the asset management industry. So whether you are looking for a role in a portfolio management type role or trading execution or risk or as a lawyer in marketing, investor relations, there's so many roles and there's so much that people can um, uh, get involved in across these more complicated platforms that I think it's a very exciting time for young people looking to grow their careers. In addition to that, the complexity of the macro environment is throwing up so many opportunities. Um, you've seen the hedge fund industry develop from being largely equity long short uh, in the early days of my involvement 20 years ago to being very product diverse. And some of the new markets that didn't exist for certain products at least even 10 years ago, um, such as in China, in India, are now um, providing opportunities that are really unique and give people a really good ability to do something new, innovative, think differently and create a real place for themselves in the asset management community. When I also think about uh, how the market has evolved, I look at that macro opportunity set on the going forward basis and think, wow, this is a very volatile time in society. The US hedge fund market came through 2008, big changes in regulation following the global financial crisis and a period of sustained effective inflation to the point now where the Fed has singled just in the last 24 hours, they're gonna pull back from some of their quantitative easing to a more tightening mode that's going to create volatility and change the opportunity set, even just in US markets over the next three to five years. The same can be said of the post-COVID era in places like China, in places like Europe. Look at the dislocation going on from the Russia-Ukraine conflict at the moment. There's an enormous amount going on in the macro environment itself that I think creates a very interesting and unique investing environment for those who want to be in this alternative space going forward. It's interesting you use the word maturing there because I know when we were doing the research for the Gaining an Edge paper, we spoke to many industry professionals to use the same word when they were describing how the industry was forging new paths to talent pools that maybe hadn't been on the radar of hedge funds in years gone by. 
And as the industry develops, these new roles come about and the industry opens up to new markets and geographies, the need for new skill sets and people from different backgrounds is becoming all the more apparent. And it seems to be like the industry was moving in the right direction. But but I wondered if you agreed. Yes, Drew, I would agree with you in that regard. For many of the same reasons I just mentioned, we've got bigger businesses. We've got more complicated markets with more complicated access points, more complicated product sets. And therefore, you need a more diverse range of skill sets to access them. At the same time, importantly to your question, we're in more markets around the world as well as a uh, industry. And that means you need cultural backgrounds that are different. You don't just need someone that grew up in a major investment bank in London or New York or San Francisco. It means you need language skills that go along with that. And all of those things then contribute to the profile of the individuals you want and need in your organisation to give you access to that right information that allows you to make those good arbitrage choices that I mentioned earlier. So a great example of this in the, in the Hong Kong industry is the growth of China. When I started lawyering for hedge funds, there was no hedge fund industry in China. It literally didn't exist. In fact, when I started lawyering for asset managers, there was barely even a long-only asset management industry in China. It was legislated for in the year I, I started working in Hong Kong. Fast forward to around about 2010, and we started seeing the rise of the onshore PFM, private fund manager in China, which was a brand new concept that didn't exist as a matter of regulation, but existed because economic opportunity existed. That then spurred on uh, firms from China to go offshore and get regulated. They needed to hire. They brought people with them who were natural Mandarin speaking Chinese educated folks who built into this industry outside of China. So I can say with some conviction that I have seen the growth of a diverse range of individuals in our industry in a very organic manner because there was money to be made, there was opportunity to be had in a new industry. And when you when you snowball that effect over a 15-year period, you see people start to infiltrate and get into roles in all sorts of places that you would not have otherwise seen. And I think you can broadly say the same thing for women in our industry as it's grown as well. And I think uh, the fact that it is organic is what will hopefully make it sustainable in the sense that it is not just, uh, uh, you know, a tick box exercise that has artificially got us to where we're going. And, and, and hopefully that progress can continue. You mentioned a little bit about your own experience there, and, and you've obviously had a number of roles, uh, including at fund service providers, but also directly in hedge funds. Uh, Eleanor told us a little bit about her perception going into the industry and, and, and maybe that not quite aligning with reality. But could you just give us a little bit of your own experience when it comes to these roles? And what I mean by that is when it comes to aspects such as how it relates to lifestyle, such as work-life balance, the nature of the work and, and anything else that you might think relevant? Certainly. Um, when you are in a provider role, you live in a very different world from when you are running a hedge fund. 
in the provider world, you have many, many clients. That was certainly true in my roles in the US law firm that I worked for, and it was certainly true in all my years in prime brokerage in a major investment bank. Lots and lots of people, lots of contact points, lots and lots every day going on, rolling over, um, looking at the same issue for many, many clients. That has its own rewards as a role, and that may suit many people in our industry to be in a role where they are one-to-many provider. You also have the benefit in those roles, typically speaking, of being in a larger organisation. Um, the kinds of organisations I worked on in the sell side were very, very large global. So there's a lot of support, a lot of roles that are there to help that business operate and help you do your job. On the flip side of that, when you're in that sell side role, you don't get to see the depth of the um, commercial people structural decisions that go into doing something when you're in a hedge fund every day. So if I look by comparison at my role at Arcan, where I've been now for four years, at least four years officially, huh? we have to be responsible for so many things every day that you have a very great depth of field commercially. And from an HR perspective, I would say, interestingly, in decisions, in moving your business forward, and as Eleanor rightly pointed out earlier, on a very, very fast basis. There's not a lot of time for lots of bureaucracy and committee-like decision-making in many, many hedge funds. And the buck stops with you. So you see things in a narrowest perspective because you're working in one business, but you're seeing it in a much deeper way about all of the aspects of your business. Now, I say that knowing that I'm saying that from the seat of a COO, obviously for somebody in a slightly different role, in a slightly larger hedge fund organisation, that may again be a different perspective. But if I speak from personal experience, I think that's possibly the, the best insight I can give to listeners. And your career experience to date has also given you the opportunity to work in different countries, right? And so how did these opportunities come about? That is the aspect of this, which is somewhat serendipitous. And I remember discussing with Annika at the time when I was contributing to the guide, the fact that the one big piece of advice I would have for young people looking at this industry because it often is somewhat opaque to someone. It's not like saying, I know what a law firm does or I know what an engineer does, is take risk. I took a risk when I was a lawyer at five years qualified in Australia and I video interviewed for a job with a Wall Street firm in Hong Kong. I had originally wanted to go to Wall Street. That didn't happen because of the dot-com bubble bursting. Jobs were drying up on Wall Street, but there were jobs in Asia. And I took that job offer without even having been to Hong Kong to visit, which not very many people know. <laughs> and my thinking was the worst that can happen is they hate me and I hate them and I go back to Australia. <laughs> so my point in saying that is sometimes you have opportunity very serendipitously because you take a certain amount of risk in your career. And that's a good thing because it opens up a world of connections. And the way in which business is done in emerging market Asia, in India, in China, in Indonesia, in Cambodia, in Mongolia, in certain parts of the Middle East where I've done deals, is very, very different from the way it works in a major um, common law jurisdiction that's a much more developed market. So 
the thinking style you need to problem solve in your roles in those places can be very different. And that's a very rewarding thing because you're picking up new connections, new skills, and new ways of thinking along the way. Ah, okay. So you've mentioned one key bit of advice there, which has somewhat preempted my last question, which was to put you all on the spot to give some advice from your various positions on, on, on what you would say to maybe a student or someone looking to transition into the industry. Catherine, I'll, I'll let you off and, and bring you down to two, seeing as you've given one piece already. Uh, but would you like to start giving two more, maybe, uh, as I say, just, just something that you wish you'd known a few years ago? Happy to. I mentioned the risk-taking piece. And I think that the risk-taking piece I would summarise as advice in the following way. If you think this might be an industry for you, leverage the ability to get a role, any role, somewhere connected to the hedge fund industry at that early stage of your career. Many, 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 many things happen and many jobs are obtained in our industry because of personal connection and of personal understanding of aspects of the industry. So I would want young people to worry less about what job they're doing when they are on the way in, be it to an auditor, a fund administrator, to a bank operations team that supports Prime, to a hedge fund itself, and worry more about just getting on the train. Once you're on the train, you can rearrange where you sit on the train. So that's the one big piece of advice I give to our summer interns because I often get asked this question and they seem overly worried about what qualifications to have. I don't care what qualifications you have. I care about your passion to work and I care about whether you really want to be here. The second bit of advice I would have is actually leverage people like Ama. Um, there's so much information out there and there is so much networking that we do and helpfully down to junior levels of our industry that it is super easy for you to make a network for yourself if you put a modicum of effort into it. So those would really be my two big tips. And Eleanor, can I, can I put you on the spot as well and ask for, for three essential pieces of advice? I think not um, dissimilar from what Catherine was saying. I think the most important thing, certainly for early career and entry-level um, candidates, is not what you know, but it's your, it's your attitude because almost everything can be learned on the job, but a good attitude, that's just such an essential starting point, I think. And yeah, I'd really suggest people just really thinking about what is their motivation? Why do they want to go into this industry and really kind of tap into that and get across that passion and enthusiasm? Um, it's also a bit, it's more kind of the way you think, I find, um, the way you think and interact rather than getting everything right immediately. Um, and definitely, yeah, talking things through and, and learning from those around you, I think, is just really key to, to success. I'm bringing this conversation then uh, full circle, Anika. Try and pick the bones out of the tips that uh, both uh, Catherine and Eleanor uh, came up with. But, you know, if I, you could summarise maybe the guide. I know that it mentions to be proactive, be open-minded, build relationships. Uh, you know, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So essentially, just reach out. Reach out, learn. Um, and I think it kind of, I guess, coming back to a tip from my side, maybe, um, you know, be open and um, 
you know, when I left university, I studied a law degree. Um, I thought that I would go into maybe private practice and so on. Um, but I remember coming across AIMA and I just applied and I didn't know who AIMA were. Um, but um, I haven't looked back since, you know, getting a unique insight into the industry from a policy making angle. Um, and, you know, it, my, my parents still don't understand what I do. And that's okay. I think we often try to find roles that, you know, are recognized. Um, but try not to fit into those. Um, and it's okay if you're not, you're not too sure where it will take you in five to 10 years or so on. Um, so, you know, and that's what the guide hopes to do. Just show an, a new perspective on an industry that you perhaps haven't thought about previously um, and showcase just how many people there are, you know, and just actually how diverse it is. I know it has a perception that it's maybe not so diverse um, and quite traditional in its ways, but, you know, through the exercise of putting the guide together, I really saw just how many women there are in the industry and how many people from different backgrounds and just how many roles there are. So many roles. <laughs> I think I alluded to this earlier. You've got the tech, you've got compliance, legal. There really is something for everyone. So find the time to, to reach out and um, figure out what it is that you want to do. And all three of you are shining examples of those roles across the industry and diversity of the industry. Um, congratulations to you all on producing this very useful guide. Um, Anika, congratulations to you for uh, setting up this initiative back in 2020. Um, and where can listeners find out more about the Careers Network and have you plans for anything else in the offing? Yes, so everything's on the AIMA website, um, so www.aima.org. Um, and we, we're in the middle of creating a number of resources and initiatives. Um, we've got a periodic newsletter that we're putting together for universities. So that will highlight developments in the industry um, and AIMA's latest careers initiatives. We're visiting schools and universities. Uh, we recently visited Southampton Business School. Um, I'm also looking to hold events for students across different institutions to meet one another um, and also network with our um, careers network, our hedge fund professionals. So the careers guide really is only the beginning. Um, and we, you know, I know that's a lot to remember, but um, on our website, we're in the process of creating a dedicated section a students hub so that will be home to all of our student and career resources and provide details on any upcoming events so do check that one out excellent stuff well all that is left is for me to thank you all so much for coming on the long short today Catherine I'm calling in from APAC especially appreciation to you given the, the time of day but thank you all so much for a very enlightening conversation and it, it's so interesting to hear different people's perspectives and different walks of life that's, that's all brought us to this studio today. So thank you all very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Tom. The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.